everyone, and thanks for tuning in. My name is Caitlin Stewart. I'm a graduate student in the English program at University of Kansas, and you're listening to Boricua, Three Generations of Puerto Rican Identity. Boricua came about as an inspiration in one of my English classes, Latinx Literature of Trauma and Testimony. Um, it sort of was created as a project exploring a very fraught Latinx identity by highlighting the voices of those who are most important and are included within that identity, um, which is Puerto Rican people. Uh, this project was my seminar project. Uh, our professor, Dr. Marta Caminero Santangelo, had inspired us to sort of branch out and do something more impactful um, and more sort of tangible than a traditional seminar paper. Um, so that's why I chose to do this podcast. With this project, I hope to address issues of nation identity, nation states, as well as bringing in my own theoretical area of study, um, which is posthumanism. Posthumanism is a sort of response to the way that um, humanism as a, as a philosophy Humanism creates a normative view of us as the human, against which all existences, human and non-human, are praised and found sort of worthy or unworthy um, accordingly. So this um, normative example would be sort of like the Vitruvian Man example, against which um, people are judged and found, all, you know, whether they almost deserve rights in a way. Um, so posthumanism seeks to move beyond these sort of binaries about the human existence and human experience um, away from a dualistic ontology that's um, pervasive in humanist philosophies. It sort of challenges how we approach rights, existences, and cultural norms. Um, one important posthumanist author, Catherine Hales, has said, but the posthuman does not really mean the end of humanity. It signals instead the end of a certain conception of the human, a conception that may have applied at best to that fraction of humanity who had the wealth, power, and leisure to conceptualize themselves as autonomous beings exercising their will through individual agency and choice. So posthumanism challenges who we accept as having agency and who has rights and why, essentially. So this sort of fits in with uh, my project about nation and the nation state. Puerto Rico is in this sort of um, unique situation where it um, does not have a political state, but it can be identified as a sort of um, unique nation in itself. Um, one prominent author that talks about um, theories and philosophies surrounding the Puerto Rican identity Jorge Duani has said, at the end of the 20th century, Puerto Rico represents the apparent paradox of a stateless nation that is not assimilated into the U.S. orbit. Despite nearly a century of U.S. rule, the island remains a Spanish-speaking Afro-Hispanic Caribbean nation. So, even though today, actually, 70% um, of Puerto Ricans live mainland and not on the island, um, they still have this sort of unique, separate identity that's not defined by a sort of um, nation tied to a political state or any geographical boundaries. So it sort of challenges our ideas of what constitutes a nation and how we identify as a nation. 
So that's sort of what I'm exploring with this, the more theoretical background. Um, My goal with this podcast was mostly to um, bring forward the most important voices on Puerto Rican identity, which is, of course, um, Puerto Ricans. Um, I wanted to talk about what it means to them to be Puerto Rican and what, you know, sort of what defines uh, their identity for them. So in this podcast, um, it's three episodes long. I interview my fiance's grandmother, Anna, his father, and then my fiance, Liam. This first episode is going to be the interview with Liam, and then we'll go on to Joe's and then Anna's. You might notice a little bit of a difference in length in each of these episodes. I chose to leave them as they are because I didn't want to change anything too much. And I think it also speaks to experience and how, you know, obviously more years, you're going to get more experience about what it means, uh, what your identity means to you and that sort of thing. Um, Also, Liam just speaks more succinctly than the others. So thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I want to thank Dr. Marta Caminero-Santangelo. Um, my professor for inspiring me to do this podcast. And I also want to thank, obviously, KU and all my classmates. And I want to thank especially Anna, Joe, and Liam for talking with me. Um, I hope you guys enjoy. And this is the first episode with Liam. Thank you. I'm here with Liam Chapel, my fiance. Liam, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Okay, Liam, first question's easy. What year were you born in? Um, I was born in 2000. Can you tell me a little bit more about your parents and who they were, where were they from, that kind of stuff? My dad was born in Queens, New York on a cold, wintry February evening in 1971 to a Puerto Rican-Italian mother and an Irish father. And they he grew up in the Bronx and the projects and then moved around across the Northeast eventually settling in Rhode Island through high school. Um, my mom, originally from New Mexico, Farmington, New Mexico, and then moved to Northern California at like a few months old and then lived there until college. Moved around from um, Crescent City to Eureka to Garberville. Um, oh, my mom is uh, white. Not that helps. <laughs> okay. Um so what what was it like growing up? Where all did you live? What kind of friends did you have? Um, I so I was born in Northern California, in Fortuna. Um, lived in Ferndale for nine years. Um, it was it was cool. Um, I was homeschooled, so I think that affected a lot of like socialization. I guess. Um, I was very close to my cousins, uh, my two oldest cousins, who grew up uh, very very close. Um, they lived like an hour away, so we'd hang out with them a lot. And then I had a, a friend who. My brother knew from when he was a baby, so I knew my entire life. Um, and then I, you know, hung out with some people from my homeschool group. Um, and then when I was nine, we moved to New Mexico. Um, so my, my dad got a job out there, and they worked at a children's home. So I got a lot of new friends there. Um, tended to be kind of come and go, though. So not a lot of lasting friendships, just because there was a lot of kids coming in, and then they would go back to their parents or what have you. Um, so it tended to be kind of impermanent. And then when I was 15, I moved to Independence, Missouri, um, back closer to family and um, made friends with some people there um, during high school. And how would you say that these different places shaped you maybe in different ways throughout your life? Um, well, I think one really interesting way is just uh, number one, life experiences, um, just like what 
I did kind of different place to place. And so, you know, when I moved to New Mexico originally, I had very different experiences and I was used to a different place. Um, California, very, very different than New Mexico, both um, ecologically, but also culturally. So I think that affected a lot of it and just the way I thought, but also like a big thing was how I spoke. Um, my parents are from very different sides of the country. And so I already kind of was, had a weird way of speaking um, just because I mixed theirs, but also just moving, living in California and then New Mexico, I kind of mixed stuff and then moving to the Midwest. There was definitely some effect of that on there. Um, what sorts of holidays did you celebrate growing up? Did they mean anything special to you? Have any traditions behind them? Um, I mean, we celebrated kind of the typical American holidays. I uh, never really celebrated Halloween until I was in high school. Um, but we would celebrate... Uh, I don't remember how old I was, but I would have been probably in grade school, at least that I remember. We started celebrating um, the Day of the Kings more frequently, Three, day, uh, three Kings Day. Um, and that became kind of a big tradition. And that's when we started kind of uh, doing a lot more kind of traditional stuff. I think we started cooking the... Uh, my. Uh, we would celebrate Christmas Eve with my mom's parents and then Christmas Day with my dad's parents. Um, and so typically you would do a big kind of dinner on New Year's Eve. But we tended to do it on Christmas Day just because then we'd do it with my dad's side of the family. Um, so we'd make things like arroz con pollo, um, sometimes arroz con gandules. But honestly, we do that mostly for Day of the Kings. Um, and I never liked it. So um, totones. Um, that kind of stuff. Um, we just kind of made, it was whatever my mom could make. She got recipes from my um, great-grandfather, who was um, from Puerto Rico, and he was a chef. And so he had a journal of a lot of recipes, and he gave them to her. Um, so we'd make a lot of those. Um, so it was kind of whatever she got from him. So you identify yourself as Puerto Rican, correct? Yes. What yeah. does it mean to you to be Puerto Rican? Um, well, I mean, part of it is just a you know, simple thing of like ancestry. My family is from Puerto Rico, um, going back generations. And so it's just an important part of my heritage. But also I think in America, it's a lot bigger deal to kind of stay connected to one's ancestry or heritage. Um, so part of it is just, it's a, an identity. Um, it's a reminder so that I can stay connected with uh, the past uh, without kind of losing it the way that I feel like a lot of it has happened in American history and with American culture. Do you feel differently about yourself now than you did when you were younger? Um, yeah, I mean, part of it is just getting older, but also um, my my dad was never super connected to his past. Um, I think part of it was just, you know, growing up in the Northeast, not a very nice place to live when you are not a um, white person. Um, especially in the 70s and 80s. And so he tended to kind of, and then he went to school in the South. So he kind of cut off that part of himself for a long time. Um, and so I kind of mimicked that until like we, I got older um, and I realized that that was kind of a not a healthy thing to do. Um, and so I started embracing it again. Um, how would you describe your relationship with language? Um, you know, do you speak any Spanish? Do you want to speak Spanish? Um... I didn't really, I mean, I was taught a little bit of Spanish growing up, but uh, it was never really spoken a whole lot um, in my house. Uh, my dad 
would occasionally speak it. He would speak some with my mom. My mom doesn't really know much Spanish, but he would use a little bit mostly when he was trying to like say stuff that he didn't want us to understand. And then my grandma spoke Spanish, but she didn't really teach us um, a lot of it. So um, I didn't really grow up knowing a lot. Um, I learned it for a while, and then I kind of just... Part of it, I was kind of confused because my mom taught me, and she's not a Spanish speaker. And so she used textbooks, and they were Castilian Spanish. Um, and then my dad and grandma speak more kind of Puerto Rican, New Rican kind of Spanish. And then my, we lived in New Mexico. And so then I knew a lot of people who spoke Mexican Spanish. And so it was just kind of confusing. Um, three very different dialects. Um, I, I want to learn some Spanish. I mean, um, it's kind of, sometimes I don't, sometimes I feel bad that I don't know as much Spanish. Um, but then also I remember that my ancestors didn't speak Spanish until, the 1500s so like you know i don't know if it's that big of a deal um but i would like to learn some i partly just because i think it's a really useful language i guess can you talk a little more about um what you think like makes up the puerto rican identity i guess you know like is it stuff with, with language is it just the place you lived is it it probably be considered an ethnicity or an ethnic group um but why do you think people decide to identify with or not identify with it? <clears throat> Most cultural identities is kind of a connection to the, not to get philosophical, the past, present, and future, right? Um, ancestry and heritage is a big deal of it. Like, where do you come from? Where do your, where does your family come from? Um, how does that, how do you connect to that? Part of it is who, who, what's your, like, identity, your ethnicity, that kind of thing. Um, and then the other part is, how do you see yourself as a, I guess, a custodian of the future of that heritage, if that makes sense? Um, I think part of it is just, you know, ancestry. I mean, um, I guess anthropologically or sociologically, I don't know. Um, I'm Puerto Rican because my ancestors were, my family is, my dad and my grandma and so on and so forth. But also part of it is a, um, I guess, kind of almost like a resistance to the attempted erasure of especially of the indigenous peoples of the island um and so of like holding on to that so that it can't be taken away um and then also it's just so that it doesn't get lost so what do you think are good ways to put it the way you said it to be like custodian of the future when it comes to cultural identity um i think making it important not to forget um, like what are ways to not forget oh um i think i mean if you're somebody who cares about the traditions of like keeping those up um retelling the stories uh remembering the history uh you know i guess kind of like becoming a, a way for the like a, i mean a lot of it's oral history um and so a way for that to to keep going on you know listening to um, what other people who have lived before, like family members, um, say, um, remembering it and then passing that on to other people so that, you know, even after you're gone, it, it kind of still continues. Um, I mean, I, I know stories from that my grandma has told me that were from people that she didn't even meet before because her, her parents told her and she told me and that so on and so forth. So you think like telling stories is a good way to like to initiate and to continue on cultural remembrance. And so I guess um, one thing that's really interesting is, you know, the way that texts 
have a role in, you know, cultural identities and things like that. So, you know, oral history is a text in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, films, um, memoirs, nonfiction, fiction. Um, So the importance of re-remembering and writing down stories for the future. Yeah, I'd agree. I think um, keeping them alive is an important thing. And I think part of them is also updating um, about updating stories to fit more with modern conventions and not trying to, I don't mean to like lose the past methods of storytelling. I think they're important to, um, keep alive, but also just to, I mean, you know, in the last hundred years, we've had a ton of different ways of, of telling stories. And so how can we, um, I guess, recontextualize stories so that they can be told in different manners and reach more people and not get forgotten. I mean, film's an obvious one, right? How can these stories that were, um, stories that were passed down, you know, that were told to children or whatever, how can we put those in a visual medium so that more people can remember them? Because that's the way that people tell stories nowadays or in books or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, In the spirit of that, could you tell me a couple of stories that you think are important to remember as a as someone who identifies as Puerto Rican um yeah there's two that I really like one of them is um uh it's the it's a story about like the origin of hummingbird um basically there was these two this this young man goes to he's out in the the jungle one day in the rainforest and he um comes across a pool of clear water and he's drinking from it, and then he looks over and he sees a young woman. Um, and he's struck by her beauty, um, and they, you know, meet and talk, and they fall in love with each other. But it turns out she's from another tribe, and her dad is the cacique, the, um, like, tribal leader, the chief. Um, and he forbids them from ever meeting. And the young man, you know, uh, doesn't know what happened. Um, and so he keeps trying to find her, and she um, prays to the gods that um they can be together again and um the gods turn her into a flower and then the young man um uh, can't find her anywhere and so he prays to uh, he uh, he uh well basically he's just sad and the and the the moon looks down on him with pity and she turns him into a hummingbird so that he can constantly be searching for his love and that's why hummingbirds flip from flower to flower um and the other one is the uh, it's a story that my grandma told me several times. Um, it's kind of the moment where the um, natives realized that the Spaniards weren't gods. I think it's a story that's told in a lot of different, what now are considered Latin American countries. But basically, you know, the conquistadors were uh, ruling over Puerto Rico. And, or I mean, I've, this story's been told for most of the islands, really. But focus on Puerto Rico. Um, and, you know, they taught them gods. And a um, one of the a princess was in love with one of them, Don Cristobal de Sotomayor, um, a Spaniard. And um, I don't remember the whole story, but you know, uh, there was fights. Um, she died, but also, well, basically, what happens is the people of the tribe didn't like that she was in love with the Spaniard, and so they were trying to find a way to kill him. And um, they pulled another Spaniard off his horse, and he fell in knocked his head on a rock and died, but they saw that he bled, and they were like, oh, they believe they're not a god. And so they attacked them, and it kind of ended in a bloody battle, but um, Sotomayor died, and the princess died. 
Um, and if I remember right, they were like buried together or whatever. Um, but it was kind of this like key moment in this in resistance of just like that this kind of oppressive force were mere mortals uh, with guns and armor, but you know humans nonetheless. So you are studying animation right now, right? Yes. Um, and if I remember correctly, you did a project over that hummingbird story. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I did. Um, it was a augmented reality pop-up book. Um, I animated a little pop-up book using a couple different computer softwares, and then um, I tried to code a AR app, and it didn't work, so I used um, an Adobe product to do it. Uh, but basically, I had a prop book that I put on a table, and then people would come up, put on a pair of headphones, and hold up an iPad. And when you held it in the right spot, um, and you like tapped on it, a um, a pop-up book anima animation would start to play. And so it would tell the story, and I had um, uh, my dad record some narration for it. And it, uh, I think it was really cool to see people <laughs> looking at this thing, and uh, you know they'd watch the animation play, and then they would like look over the iPad to see if the book had opened too, and it wouldn't, and they would like kind of freak out a little bit by that. I just think that's a perfect example of like what you're talking about of you know. Um, reimagining stories in ways that like get people interested with new technology and things like that so yeah I mean that was kind of one of the things I was going for in that um, especially because it's a story that not a lot of people know um, I could just tell the story or I could do it in that kind of manner and in that location and a lot more people heard the story who probably never would have heard it um, otherwise so I know this because I'm your fiance and I will eventually have to change my name also um, but you're um, in the process of changing your surname, correct? Yeah. Um, my last name currently is Chapel. Um, never really liked it that much. Partly, I just, it's an annoying name because uh, it has two Ps and I have to spell it every time I tell somebody my last name. Um, but also just because, um, partly because it was my dad's biological father's last name, who we have no sort of connection with. And so I decided to, well, we decided, looking through names, to go with one of my great 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 something or other grandmother um, on my great grandmother's side, which is Velasquez. And part of the reason, I mean, part of it was just I, I don't like my current last name, and so I was trying to find another one that I did like. But also, um, it's another connection to the past um, and to you know ancestry and family and heritage and that kind of thing. 